Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative questions of how politics could appear in our preaching this week. My name is Jackie Embry. I'm a newly retired United Reformed Church minister. I have worked with churches across Birmingham and Bolton and Salford and as moderator of the United Reformed Church's Mersey Synod. I'm living in Kendall on the edge of the Lake District. Each week I'm joined by a different guest and today I'm very pleased to introduce Bishop Olivia Graham. Olivia began her career in teaching and international development, including a period working for Oxfam in Somalia. She was ordained in 1997, serving in Garsington, Princess Risborough and Burnham in the Diocese of Oxford, before becoming a parish development advisor and then Archdeacon. In 2019, Olivia became Bishop of Reading. She is passionate about social justice and the interface that the church has with the wider world. Her priorities include the climate crisis and the challenges facing young people, in particular the scourge of knife crime. Olivia is one of three bishops who lead the National Church of England work on the environment, and she chairs the diocesan environment work. Olivia is married to Keith, and the couple have three grown-up children. So welcome, Olivia, and thank you very much for coming on the podcast this week. Thank you, Jackie. It's great to be here. I guess the first question is, do politics and the pulpit mix? Well, the answer is, of course, it's a no-brainer, because the gospel is political. Um, It's all about... Um, under God, the right regulating of our lives, um, about our priorities, uh, about our relationships, about the right use of power, um, about decision making, uh, and all of that is the stuff of politics. So um, at a personal level, of course, that's true, but also it has to be true of our wider society as we seek the common good together. And that should be the aim of all of our politicians. So it seems to me absolutely natural to talk about politics in the pulpit. That's good. Um, Just a few headlines that that make our context today, if you like. Um, The Northern Ireland Assembly is to reconvene, bringing back a power-sharing government. MPs and peers from Human Rights Committee have stated that the Rwanda Bill is incompatible with human rights obligations. Violence in Israel-Palestine continues with Israel launching deadly strikes in Rafah, where one million Gazans are sheltering, having been displaced. There have been protests, instability and unrest following the election in Pakistan. There's ongoing conflict in Sudan, which has been going on for 10 months, causing huge suffering and starvation, with 11 million people displaced. Tensions are increasing on the Guyana and Venezuela border over Guyana's oil, an increase of Venezuelan troops along the border. But on the positive side, the EU has laid out plans for the first carbon neutral continent, aiming to reduce emissions by 90% by 2040. And the Chinese New Year was celebrated at the weekend, making the beginning of the Year of the Dragon. Church-wise, this coming Sunday, the 18th of February, is the first Sunday in Lent. February is LGBT plus History Month, and the World Day of Social Justice is on the 20th of February. 
And the lectionary readings for Sunday the 18th of February are Genesis 9, 8 to 17, 1 Peter 3, 18 to 22, Mark 1, 9 to 15, Psalm 25, 1 to 10. So, Olivia, where will you start this week with all that? Um, it's a massive agenda, isn't it? Um, and uh, some of the specifics of uh, what's going on politically um, uh, and, and, and indeed in terms of security issues across the world are really quite alarming. Um, I think, you know, we're all in quite anxious times. But one of the things which I'm really um, engaged with and concerned about is that the longer term, slower burn issues around the environment and biodiversity loss and pollution and all the ways in which as human beings we're making our home planet less and less um, habitable, um, which clearly doesn't matter tomorrow in the same way that it matters massively what happens tomorrow if you live in Rafa. Um, but, but it matters for us as humanity um, over the, the slightly longer term, although the time frame is getting shorter and shorter for action. So, um, and there's the readings for, uh, for this Sunday um, are lovely uh, in the way that um, actually it's possible to, uh, to read something about um, some of these environmental um, issues as well as other things into them. So I think I would um, probably start with the Genesis reading um, Genesis 9, and of course, we know that in Genesis, God created everything and saw that it was good, um, and then it went badly wrong. Um, and and God, uh, uh, as the uh, the narrative has it, basically threw God's toys out of the out of the pram and said, you know, enough, um, and sent a catastrophic flooding event in order to be able to reset uh, the relationships. Um, so we have the story of the flood and the ark and then the uh, the dry land reappearing, the rainbow uh, appearing, the bow of the covenant and God talking about uh, the covenant, which um, God says uh, is made with you and your descendants after you and every living creature that's with you. Um, so there are clearly themes here to explore about uh, human responsibility um, about environmental catastrophe, about um, the sustaining of relationships which are life-giving and life-enhancing, and about uh, balance and the honouring of the trust which has been given to us by the covenant uh, relationship which God has made with us and with the whole creation. Um, and, and God says that the covenant will be for all future generations. I, uh, God, will never again destroy all flesh. Um, so I, I think, you know, there's some interesting questions to ask there about what is the relationship that God has with the world? Um, does God stand back and watch us recreate the mess and then do nothing? Uh, what responsibilities do we all have to act as God's stewards um, uh, in relation to the rest of the creation? Uh, what actions does that impel us to take? Um, and then, of course, the actions may be private actions, but there may also be public actions, actions of public witness or protest. Um, and, you know, we could get into the long tradition of, um, uh, of nonviolent um, uh, civil action 
uh, to lead towards change and the pressure that we can put on um, on our politicians and uh, decision makers in relation to that. So I think, you know, there's a whole load of stuff to explore there in relation to uh, climate change, the environmental catastrophe which is unfolding. Um, uh, you know, we see that all around us. The flooding that we've had recently has been quite um, stark. I, I went on a train journey from Oxford to uh, to Worcestershire at the weekend. And uh, for a lot of the journey, I was looking out at water on both sides of the railway track. It was quite extraordinary. Um, and I know that's been repeated up and down the country. So we can connect with this really immediately um, as an issue. But of course, there's also um, the biodiversity loss and the pollution, you know, all symptomatic of this this terrible misuse of uh, the beautiful world in this covenant relationship with God. Um, so there's there's the environmental stuff. And then, of course, you know, the sign of the covenant is the rainbow. Um, and the rainbow is a symbol that's been used through history in all sorts of different ways. It was used, apparently, um, uh, uh, it was flown as a flag uh, on ships in the 18th century as a sign of neutrality. I didn't know that. I, I looked that up. Um, and it was a symbol of international um, cooperative, uh, uh, the International Cooperative Alliance just after the First World War in the 1920s. Um, and it's been used as an international peace flag. But then, of course, the way that we know it so much now is um, it's used since the late 1970s as a symbol of gay pride. And then from um, uh, a bit later on um, in the 1990s as LGBT plus pride. Um, and this, as you said in the introduction, is um, LGBT plus history month. Um, so there's plenty to unpack here uh, if we wanted to focus on the, the rainbow, the symbol um, about the experience of LGBT plus people through history and the way in which they've been treated by, uh, by churches and by people of faith and continue to be treated by, um, by uh, religious groups of various sorts. And our churches are certainly in there um, in terms of, um, of othering them or not treating them as, you know, as, as fully uh, loved by God and fully part of our communities and so on. So I think, you know, if one wanted to go down that route, there's there's plenty there. Um, and I think, that, you know, the, the whole question of, um, uh, of linking back into, uh, into Genesis and um, the, uh, the knowledge that we are created good um, and we are also created different from each other. Uh, is an important thing to hang on to, um, but that each one of us is deeply loved and deeply valued. So that, of course, could also link, if we wanted to, into um, the uh, day of social justice that's coming up, uh, I think, next week. So there's loads in the Genesis passage, and that's not a bad place to start, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, but then, of course, uh, it's the first Sunday of Lent. Um, you know, Ash Wednesday is uh, this coming Wednesday, fourteenth, and um, we might want to to then um, might want to begin with the gospel. And this quite short gospel passage, but it's got three, I think, really important and distinct things going on. Um, the first is that uh, Jesus receives baptism from John, and just after that, he receives this extraordinary affirmation from the Father about his belovedness and his sonship, you know, um, and, and as Jesus receives this affirmation and inhabits this kinship with the creator, 
we find ourselves all incorporated into it. And each one of us receives that knowledge of our belovedness and our um, uh, and, and the affirmation of our kinship um, with the Father. Um, and that's about, you know, uh, inhabiting the, the, the reality of the essential goodness which um, of a God who is love um, and, uh, and the knowledge that each one of us is created good. So that again links back into some of the, the previous themes. And from that, um, one could explore the idea of baptism further. Um, baptism as affirmation and as calling into the household, the oikos of God, becoming part of that um, of that household. Um, so that links in with um, the idea of family and relationships, but also management of the goods of the household, the economy. Um, so I think you know that could be a starting point for looking at um, perhaps some of the discussions which are going on um, as the, uh, the the different political parties are laying out their stalls. Um, in terms of the way that they might want to uh, uh, to manage the economy uh, and the sorts of pledges which are being made and um, and then you know being reshaped or refined or in some cases rode back on. Um, uh, so I think there's quite a lot there about the, the management of the um, of of the goods of the household, but recognizing that they are you know whatever the goods are of our of our um, our worldly economy, uh, all is all derives from God's goodness. Um, so making making that link, perhaps. Um, then we've got the second part of the passage is the spirit driving Jesus into the wilderness uh, where he was tempted by Satan. And um, the gospel tells us he was with the wild beasts and he was sustained by angelic beings. And I was reflecting that um, the wilderness is a dry and barren landscape, but it isn't a lifeless one. You know, there are uh, there are wild beasts out there. Um, and although there are wild beasts, there's no sense, sense in the text that Jesus was in any kind of danger from them. Um, I'm reminded uh, very much, I don't know if you know of that Stanley Spencer um, painting from the series Christ in the Wilderness, um, it's a picture of um, of Jesus sitting in the desert um, and he has his hand out and on his hand is a scorpion, a little scorpion. There's another one by his foot and he's just looking at it with an extraordinary expression of tenderness and um, but clearly knowledge that it could hurt him. Um, yeah. But but that sense of uh, Jesus being with the wild beasts, I think, is a very, a very moving one. Um, because he shared that wilderness with the creatures that lived there. Um, and then we might think about what the barren places represent. You know, there may be barren places in our heads. Uh, they may be in our relationships. They may be in the world, in places where there's an absence um, of our ability to see God's goodness at work. Um, and some of the really desperate things you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast are places where it's really hard sometimes to find Know, where the goodness of God is. Um, so we could we could think about that and that sense of accompaniment of of God being um, among us as Jesus was among the wild beasts, um, something which could give us a little bit of hope in the face of um, all that cruelty 
and injustice. And then, of course, Jesus was sustained by the, um, the messengers, the angelic beings. He wasn't ever separated from God, even in that, that wilderness. Um, and I think that, again, could be quite rich if we wanted to, ex to continue to explore the environmental issues. Um, uh, we're never separated from God and from God's creation. Uh, we're always a part of it, and God is always a part of it. And then the third bit of the gospel um, uh, is where we find John arrested and Jesus coming to Galilee, um, which is the first moment of his public ministry, and telling people that the kingdom of God is near and, uh, and that a, res a response is needed to that. It's very... Um, it's very definite, you know, Mark's sense of, uh, of immediacy and urgency and, you know, come on, you've got to do something here. Um, and, and the translations that so many of us have are that they are to repent and believe. Um, but that word, repent, that we, that we read is, is the Greek word uh, metanoite. And it's been, it's been termed one of the most mistranslated words in the Bible. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be a brilliant moment to just think about what that word really means, um, because there's a whole strand of theology that's been absolutely rooted in the idea that we're all miserable sinners and, um, and, you know, we've got to spend our time groveling before God. And it's all about, you know, uh, that, that sense of our own unworthiness and, um, and, and the sense that we're terrible people, uh, and we get it wrong all the time. I'm not saying that any of that is untrue. Uh, you know, we, we do some pretty terrible things and uh, and human nature is not necessarily a pretty thing. But I think the sense of returning to the notion that we are all created good is really yeah. important. Um, and I think that that word metanoite is a much more positive and life-giving word than we've often made it. Um, it implies change it implies um, a turning towards god it implies an embracing of a new future um it's about changing our hearts and changing our characters um certainly changing our behavior but it's very much i think a movement of the heart towards the love that draws us and calls us and i think that's what jesus was saying you know just be open uh, respond to the love which is reaching out to you. And of course, you know, that is something which we find him teaching later on as he, um, uh, in the parable of the prodigal son and in other places, that sense of God, you know, reaching out towards us, coming towards us with intent to love uh, and to embrace us. Um, so it's our, it's our response to that more than anything, I guess. And then, you know, we could think about the ways in which, um, uh, we need to change. Um, uh, we need to change the way that we live our lives. Uh, we need to change the way that we uh, view the world, perhaps. Certainly need to change our behaviours. Um, and uh, and I'd want to, you know, relate all this back again to the environmental issues, you know, the bigger issues about how we, um, how we inhabit this beautiful world God's given us. Um, and, um, and I think we can relate it too to our attitudes and to what we see as important, because those are the things which are going to um, cause us to weigh up um, who to vote for in um, in coming local and national elections. 
Um, you know, we probably have had the general election by the end of this year, may go into January, but, you know, it's it's going to have happened before this time next year. So we're going yeah. to have all of us some important decisions to make. Um, and, you know, what truths are we needing to speak out? Uh, what lies are we needing to challenge and call out? What uh, are we needing to listen to? Which voices in this, you know, this world where there are so many voices um, all shouting different versions of the truth, and sometimes it's not very true at all. You know, how do we discern all of that? Um, so I think there's a load of stuff that we could unpack in that whole sense of metanoia and, um, you know, what actually this call that Jesus makes to us at the very beginning of his public ministry, what's that all about? Um, so those are the two, I think, the two things that I, readings that I'd probably focus more on. The, um, I think the 1 Peter 3 uh, reading is not very easy if you just take those few verses by themselves, because they don't really make sense. But um, the gist of the second half of 1 Peter 3 seems to me to be that we, we need to be prepared to suffer, as Christ did, not for doing wrong, but for doing what's right. Um, so if we take that as the sort of theme of that, you know, which those few verses are representing to us, um, you know, you might think about uh, the cost of conscience, um, you know, that sense that we need to speak out and call out, um, even if it doesn't make us popular, even if it brings down the fury of the Twitter sphere on our heads, um, you know, all of those things. And, and there's a certain cost to that um, in this crazy um, you know, media world that we find ourselves in. Um, I have a great admiration for Christians and other people of faith who make a stand on issues of principle, um, you know, justice, fairness, humanity, um, even when they occasionally break the law. Um, you know, there's quite a long, as I said, honourable history of nonviolent protest um, in this country and other places. Um, but I think we do need to all weigh up in our hearts what's right and um, and to know when the law of love um, trumps everything else, uh, what that impels us to say and to do. Yeah. Yes, I come from a dissenting tradition, so... Um... Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of sympathy with that. I'm, I'm a cradle Anglican, so... Um, so but, you know, I, I, have, I have that in me too, and I think it's important. And I've had huge admiration for some of the um, people who've, you know, borne witness to really important things and have paid the price for it. And, and even the sort of, I'm not sure I dare use the word suffering, but if you are going to do things that help the environment, yeah. it's going to take time and effort and it's going to mean perhaps not doing some things that you might otherwise do. So... And yeah. say, I don't think the word suffering probably is the right one, but nevertheless, you have to be prepared to do something that actually might impact you negatively in some respects. Yeah, and that ranges from being mildly inconvenient to actually very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's good. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because everything you've been saying, to some extent, is... Is actually tied up in in this week's psalm, um, which is based on the love and, and faithfulness of God, and asking you know it's 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 written as from an individual 
asking mm. for, for help, for forgiveness, for tuition in God's ways. Yes. Um, and, and that, I guess, is not very specific, but there are so many specifics that you have mentioned that are all tied up in that, yeah. that it it seems, well, I know somebody chose the lectionary and and, and clearly the, the Peter reading's been chosen because no was there. Um, but whether that was deliberate or not for the first Sunday event, I don't know, but it, it feels appropriate. You're absolutely right. And, you know, that whole thing, remember, Lord, your compassion and love for their everlasting. I think that gives us the most beautiful time frame in which to be thinking. Um, and I find that tremendously hopeful because, you know, so much of the immediate stuff is so ghastly. Um, but remembering God's compassion and love uh, for they are from everlasting is just a lovely um, uh, way of uh, putting some of this into some sort of perspective. And all the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. Um, it doesn't matter which way you go, that's what you'll find. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, even that, you know, talking about repentance and change, the fact that there is the possibility yeah. of, of turning um, is, is hope in itself. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's okay. great. Hopefully, then this might be quite a, a positive Sunday, um, which again, the, the understanding of the first Sunday in Lent perhaps is is that it's going to be a hard a hard 40 days, but perhaps not. <laughs> no, I don't think it has to be a hard 40 days. We're going to be there in the wilderness. Uh, we may have to confront our own wilderness. Um, but you know, it's preparing us for the uh for the for the turning the turning to God, uh, who has already turned to us. Yeah, yeah. It's it's remembering that, isn't it? In in, in the first yeah. instance, that uh, yeah. that actually there there is love waiting for us if if we yeah. only do the and turn. This year, um, we, I don't know how often this happens, but we've got Ash Wednesday on Valentine's Day. Yes, I I I, I did wonder that myself. How often that that happens? Um, I think it's wonderful. Um, so you know, I think we've got a we've got a you know, if you wanted a way into talking about some of some of this I think that's a great starter um I think uh because we receive ash as a sign of repentance you know is the common sort of understanding but um but if you go back to what we've been talking about in terms of the you know the the roots of that word um the receiving of ash of course it's a reminder of our mortality that's the whole point of the ash but but it's actually to do with um with reaffirming our change of heart and mind and life um, and reorienting ourselves right at the beginning of this period in the wilderness towards the one that loves us uh, for eternity yeah uh, so it's the now in facing our mortality but you know knowing that uh that that this this being held by god's love will never end um so we we're, we're led into those 40 days um uh and into the intention to connect really deeply with God um, by being real and honest um, about ourselves and the way that we live and trying to align ourselves more intentionally with the call to be more Christ-like, you know, the one who's modeling that for us in the wilderness. 
Um, and then I think the connection with Valentine's Day is great because, you know, so often we need to reorient ourselves in our closest relationships um, in terms of, you know, turning again to really appreciate the person that we're yoked to um, and, um, and, you know, thinking about the deepening of connection and um, about honesty and about self-giving, you know, so I think it, it could be a real, a really good moment of, the evaluation um rather than just sort of you know uh cards with red love hearts on them and stuff but you know what's behind that what does it really mean and how does that tie in with our lenten journey yeah yeah because there was a real urgency with the with the spirit driving jesus yeah. into the wilderness and immediately after he was baptized so the importance for us of of doing the same is yeah Something we sometimes forget. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh, is there anything else you would like to, to add before we finish that we've we've missed out? Um, I don't think so. I think I've run out of ideas now. <laughs> I think you've given us many, many ideas. And I want to say a huge thank you for you know for all that you've shared with us. It's it's been a really um really positive and hopefully will give us a lot to think about. Um and, and thank you to everybody else for joining us this week um, to ask whether or how we should preach politics from the pulpit. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share this episode with your friends. And we also have online spaces for further engagement and discussion about faith and politics on X or Twitter, at Public Issues, or using hashtag politics in the pulpit. And a Facebook group where you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team's Facebook page. And then the website, jpit.uk. That's J-P-I-T uk. So let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with a prayer based on the United Reformed Church's Worship Notes for Sunday, written by Susan Durbin. May God bless you this Lent with a generous heart, a peaceful spirit, an open mind, and a deepening faith. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.